This is Utano Public Health Chat with your host, Fiona. And today I am excited to host someone from Code Code Home from the Southern African region like, like me as well. And uh, someone that I was also connected through a friend. Uh, I've been getting questions from people like, how do you meet all these amazing people doing work in public health? And partly, you know, I always joke that, oh, you know, it's because I'm amazing too. <laughs> But I also think part of it is, you know, I in within my network and just reaching out to people, I've also been introduced to people doing amazing work in public health who would also contribute to the conversations that we're having. So without further ado, I'm going to let Dr. Intimilang introduce himself. If you could just tell us a little bit, like, what's your name, where you're from, what kind of work do you do, and where are you currently based? And like, if you have any areas of expertise, and how long you've been doing the work you're doing. Um, thanks, Fiona, and good afternoon, good evening, hello, everyone. It's a pleasure to speak to all of you. Um, I'm Itumaleng Datamala. I'm a an occupational medicine physician or doctor in the South Africa. I grew up in very close to where Fiona probably came came from as well, so in the northern parts of Limpopo province in South Africa. Um, it's a largely rural province, but I was fortunate to have um, received schooling in the um, in the city, so in Polokwane. And after I left there, I went off to the University of Cape Town, and that's where I did my undergraduate training. So I trained as a medical doctor for six years, um, completed, and then um, went back and did community service or national service, um, and was fortunate enough to be awarded a Shevening scholarship, with um, with which I was I then branched into one sometimes little known aspect of, of public health, which is called occupational health. So I, I obtained a master's in or an MSc in occupational health at the University of Birmingham in the UK. And um, since then, I have been back in South Africa and in Cape Town, initially as a specialist in training. Um, and currently, I've completed my studies and now a, a full specialist in the field of occupational health. Um, so, yeah, in a nutshell, that's who I am and uh, what I'm currently doing. So I'm at, I am at the University of Cape Town and um, working as a specialist in the field and as a senior lecturer as well and a convener of the postgraduate diploma in occupational health. Wow, that's amazing. That is so much. And how many years, maybe let's start with years of experience. How long have you been doing, let's say... Let's not count maybe the medicine years, but outside, since you've, let's say, finished your your first degree, your medical degree, how many years have you been working in occupational health? Um, So I could say officially I've been in occupational health from um, 2017. So that's when I came uh, from the UK after my year of study and Mm -hmm. um, started working at the um, one of the larger hospitals in the Western Cape, which is where I'm based, so um, Krocheskir Hospital. It's quite famous for having been the hospital that has conducted the first heart, heart transplant. So, mm-hmm. you know, we do have those as well uh, within our African continent. So in 2017, I started at the Occupational Health Unit at Krocheskir Hospital, and um, since then have just stayed within the province, supporting either as a clinician or um, particularly during the COVID times as a, you know, as a source of technical support and technical lead, developing policies to, do, to, to, to protect health workers, um, developing policies to protect other workers who may not be in the hospital setting. So, yeah, so from 2017, I've been in the, in, in the field of occupational health Amazing. So about five years in occupational medicine, but with five plus years in clinical medicine, right? Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. And okay, maybe let's, I think what I'll do is I'll unpack the different things you talked about in your bio, and then that will hopefully, you know, start chipping at some of the questions we have already. But let's start with medicine. What I've done with clinicians who then went into public health, I've started with like the clinical background, but do you want to talk a little bit about what drew you into medicine and why you decided, okay, I want to be a doctor. And maybe can you also talk about the journey to medicine or the journey within medicine? So how you got your degree, how was that? And like what worked, what didn't work? And like, yeah, you, the medicine part of it. Yeah. So I think from my side, they, there were two elements to 
wanting to do medicine. So one was very personal and another was more altruistic. We're looking at, as I said, I came from um, from a province with lots of disparities, as uh, many across Africa would possibly know and across the developing world where you've got on the one side, you've got even within capital cities or um, um, you know, economic hubs, some who are very affluent and some who are not very affluent and where you see lots of poverty, particularly in our rural areas and very long queues, um, very long um, or rather poor health outcomes that one picks up, particularly in those who are very disadvantaged. So as I grew to, um, to learn more about the health sector, I was drawn to the concept of wanting to make a difference and wanting to enter into that space and become a clinician and give my, you know, give, to give my level best. So that was one of the of, of the motivating factors. But I also had um, in my grade 11th or 11th year, so I, I was schooling in South Africa as 12 years. Um, and in my 11th year, my father got very unwell and passed on. And seeing him, you know, um, during that time and being able to assist in whatever way I could also motivated me to enter into the healing field, if I could call it that. And that was one of the, for me, one of the drivers of um, saying, well, what, how do I go out there, get the knowledge, get the skills to help others as well? Um, you know, yeah, so those are, I would say, are recognizing the need that is within my own surrounding and my own country, mm-hmm. and also then recognizing my own desire as from a personal point of view to do more for others. No, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm sorry to hear about your dad. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that for a lot of clinicians, a lot of people in the health field, it is personal. And it's also this second aspect. And I'm I'm so excited that you you split those two as two separate things. The idea that you you look kind of like internally and then you also look externally and you notice that wait, it's not just like from in my experience, it was like it's not just oh, like my aunt or my mom or my grandmother's sick, but you notice other people also have grandparents who are sick or aunties who are sick and they're all kind of like sick in a certain way or it's hard for them to, you know, access this clinic or get this medication. And then you start seeing that, you know, start making these connections as you grow. And then that kind of like influences and of course, based on opportunities available, what you then choose as a career path. So that's good to hear. And I think will definitely resonate with a lot of people who are either in the field or we're looking to work in the field as well. Just yeah. to add, and I know we're getting it, but it also then leads to how one develops an interest in public health, where you begin to realize limitations of being a clinician that can only see a finite number of patients and how you then move, make the move from being a clinician based in a clinic where you see 20 a day to one who goes into the field of public health, where you try to then influence the population the health of populations and use your skills to help deliver better healthcare services or um, healthcare to larger populations or um, you know larger communities and, and and off scale so 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 I will probably come to it but I just wanted to draw that linkage mm-hmm. as well um, of being a clinician and wanting to help but also realizing the limitations of just being an individual and knowing that you could hold hands with others, to deliver better healthcare to larger populations, as, as uh, you know, um, yeah, is another aspect that I guess we can get to. Perfect. That's definitely a part I'll probably just clip <laughs> and use for marketing. But that's definitely you just nailed it right there. This this connection between, or at least the, the connection and the jump from like individual looking at healthcare at the individual level to then the connection to the other like higher in terms of population that is um levels of care and realizing that it's connected mm-hmm. and joining in with others that's that's for at least that's how I perceive public health as well so for you you then went and did an MSc and you then I guess specialized is that's what you would call it right in occupational health can you tell us I mean even when I saw your profile I was like oh my gosh I did I have my background I have a master's in public health so I don't have any clinical background but we did do in our like intro like the first semester of public health grad school we did do um a module where we talked about the history of occupational health, but that's like years ago at this point. So even I had to like <laughs> go back and do my refresher because it's not my area, it's not my day-to-day work. Although I've kind of like mm-hmm. touched in it in health workforce planning. So maybe to our audience and people who even are within the field of public health or have never heard of the term occupational health, how would you define 
occupational health and the work that you do as an occupational health doctor? Okay. Um, so I think the first is at least <laughs> recognizing that occupational health is an element or an area or discipline within the broader scope of public health, right? Mm -hmm. And our mm -hmm. main focus, and, and you know, the audience will probably um, be aware that public health is quite broad and there are various elements within it. So we are within a branch that has the, um, so our, our aim really is to promote and to maintain so the highest degree of physical, mental, and, and, and social well-being of workers in all occupations. And you'll see there, what I've done is we've I've used the WHO or World Health Organization's definition of what health is. And health is, it's not just not having disease or infirmity. It is um, a, a very holistic notion of physical, mental, social well-being, right? Mm -hmm. And our focus really within the field is to promote and maintain that health of workers in all occupations. And this means it could be occupation, people working within agriculture, it could be people working in the police force, or people working in um, emergency services, which is where I did my one of my master's studies with looking at uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, burnout, um, depression, etc., within emergency workers, right? So, and this could uh, extend to other workers, be it people who are truck drivers on the road to those who are, um, you know, in what underground in the mining sector, right? So that is our main focus. And there are various elements of, of, of how we do it. And as I said, one is we promote workers' health and we not only work, look at the impact of the work on the workers' health, but we also look at how one's own health can impact on their work performance or their work capacity. So how is it that your diabetes, which is uncontrolled, can impact on your job or your work capacity or job security as someone who works as a plumber that needs to uh, be working at heights or somebody who, is, who needs to work as a truck driver who needs to have insulin shots? Um, all right, so, 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 so those are some of the elements of what we look at. We work at improving working conditions, improving working um, environments, making sure that they're safe, they're healthy spaces. We also look at developing work organization or work cultures, work culture in such a way that it promotes the health and well-being of, of workers. Yeah, so those are some of the core elements of what we do. And, you know, in as much as public health is very broad, occupational health is broad in itself. Mm -hmm. And you will have noticed that you've, you know, sometimes mentioned occupational medicine and occupational health. And actually, occupational medicine is an element within occupational health. So we are a team, a multidisciplinary team within occupational health. So there are occupational medicine practitioners or doctors. There are occupational health nursing practitioners. There are health and safety officers. There are occupational hygienists. Um, we've got ergonomists or people who work with you know, body movement and ensuring that one has um, you know, whatever equipment they're using is fit for purpose and, is, and, and, and aligned to their body size, etc. So there's a host of individuals working within the field of occupational health. You've even got occupational health dermatologists and psychologists and psychiatrists or who have, or, you know, who have an interest in the mental health of workers, for example. So it's a, it is a multidisciplinary team and I am just one element within occupational health. I am within the occupational medicine space. So we are effectively doctors that look at diagnosing, assessing, evaluating work-related problems and, and, and injuries as well, and then putting recommendations up, treating, and, and, and ensuring that there's follow-up, et cetera. Wow, that is amazing. No, that's that's very helpful. Thank you for that definition. And also just clarifying the difference between like occupational health is a larger umbrella than, than houses, all these other different subfields. Mm -hmm. And then, so within that, you fall under occupational medicine, like the clinical aspect. And how's been, how's that been for you? I can just hearing you, I'm just like, no way. This is a challenge. <laughs> just hearing, I was like, I'm trying to, I remember 2020, for example, working in health workforce planning and COVID broke, right? And of course, the main first thing that people were thinking about, and this was specific to only the health workforce, but I can imagine there were larger conversations in other fields as well around like PPE and, and making sure that, you know, 
the health environment was you know was safe. I remember we at some point we were talking about moving all patients into the TB unit because they were the only buildings that have in adequate ventilation. And we know the world has kind of like been changing to update that. But maybe before we jump to like the challenges, I think my my brain just jumped to all the negative things I can think of working with different stakeholders. But let's hear what your work looks like on a typical day or in typical week. I know you mentioned you have like a couple of roles. You mentioned you also lecture at the university and you still see patients. So maybe just walk us through how you do your typical week or month. Um, how Like, are you 80% seeing patients? What's your distribution between your academic and your clinical work? So because it, it, we are straddling public health and clinical medicine, we are, um, so I, at the, at the present moment, and many in, in, in occupational medicine do both. So I spent at least one day a week within a clinical setting. And at Curtis Hill Hospital, we've got an E16. So this is E16, just the location, occupational medicine clinic, where we have referrals coming in from across the province. And this would be people from the people who are working in the public sector, private sector, coming through to that clinic um, for specialist advice as to whether or not conditions that they are bring uh, they, they, they have they are presenting with are work related and to be assisted with um, completion of compensation documents, etc. So we see ex-minors who have developed silicosis or occupational um, lung diseases. We see people who have um, health workers that have developed TB, for example, and would like to be assessed. We see people who have suffered um, disabilities from injuries. So we see a number of people coming in with spinal injuries, etc., from falls or neurological problems, from chemical exposure, etc. So it's a host of, of conditions. We see work-related um, upper limb disorders, so people who would be coming in with problems with their hands, their elbows, their forearms because of repetitive work that they would have done. We've got a large textile industry and we see individuals coming in from that industry as well. We've got people coming in from the retail industry, uh, so bakers coming in with baker's asthma or um, asthma that they develop from inhalation of flour, enzymes, etc., that they used in making of, of, of bakery products, right? So I'm just giving those as an example of the wide range of patients that we, we, we currently see. And in addition to, to that clinic, we also run, you know, we also run an, a clinic for, for the workers of the hospital themselves. So we try not to um, combine the two services to allow the public to be able to send through their patients and also allow the clinic to run on, on its own. So there, I'm not as involved. I just provide um, advice as needed. So that's the clinical element of the work that we, we currently do. And of course, we work very closely with other colleagues in respiratory medicine or pulmonology, in dermatology, um, etc. because we also do see quite a number of work-related skin conditions as well, right? Because you can imagine you use your hands at work, you're exposed to a number of chemicals, number of compounds, which could affect the, um, the, the integrity of your skin, et cetera, right? So that's one part of it. Then the other part of it is providing technical support. So as and when required, the provincial government will ask for input on policy development. We're currently working on a mental health policy for health workers, for example. We are at a national, so aside from the provincial government, there is input that we are providing at a national level um, to provide health and uh, occupational health and safety information for non-health industries. So, you know, these would be industries such as the taxi industry or the transportation industry. How does one give them or develop information that can be used in those industries to inform them about COVID, to inform them about the occupational health policies around COVID, et cetera. And so that's a larger, a large part of what we do as well. And of course, they are then the usual university work, which is course development, short course development. We've just had a very on ventilation assessment of health of, of workplaces, and we've done it over two days. They are short courses that we're looking to develop for, um, for primary healthcare workers. And of course, there's the larger two-year diploma that I, I convene as well. So there's a lot of work in there of developing course material and finding creative ways to, to, to deliver it online. And I'm sure this leads into your challenge, into your challenges question, because we, we are very few in the field. And of course, other elements are issues around research. So I'm currently doing my PhD and I'll be looking at um, uh, factors that resulted in COVID-19 spread within workers. 
in the non-healthcare industry and of course other research research interests you know looking at minors looking at health workers and burnout during this covid period etc so there's research that also has to be done in addition to all the other university things which i will i will not mention so as you can see it's a variety of duties and on 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 one specific day you generally focus on on one and not the other uh, am i allowed to ask this but of the things of the many things you've walked us through this is also very helpful by the way the detail i think really paints the picture what's your favorite so what is my favorite Yeah, what's your favorite aspect of what you do? You mentioned policy, you mentioned research, you mentioned the academic side where you do course development and you mentioned also seeing patients, right? So those are, for me, those are kind of like it sounds like they're all integrated and then you also mentioned collaborating with people from different departments, being public facing and then also working with like I guess care for the public work like workers who come to the clinic versus the healthcare workers as well needing care. I guess which of those many things you do are the most like where do you find the most fulfillment most joy or do you feel like this is like where you shine yeah so this is it's a very difficult question but i think the one element which i do enjoy is the teaching and learning aspect of it seeing one um how one can spread the spread occupational health as a discipline and seeing uh, individuals come in not really being quite aware as to what their role is and how they could contribute to the field um seeing them come in learn and you know engage with us and take that knowledge and spread it within their own circles and within their own communities etc i think that for me is is one of my more favorite elements i've also obviously um enjoyed close related to that research as well because that does inform we teach at the university level and you know there unavoidable is the clinical work because that's at the at the core of it that's why we became doctors and and partly why i chose to be in this field as well because it does allow one to continue having that clinical interface and that clinical that connection that human touch yeah so those are could say are my top 3 but the, at the very top if i had to choose i'll teach i'll choose teaching and learning as one of the the favorite ones and i guess i also explains why i was attracted to academia in the first place and um mm-hmm. how i am a lecturer instead of um in other aspects and we are all over in occupational medicine mm-hmm. you know be it in the mines and in petrochemical industry some in hospital settings and and of course some in academia and that's where i found myself Oh well, that's great. I know I I'm also very drawn to teaching and learning is fun. But you mentioned something you said that the field doesn't have a lot of people. Yes. So currently we are um, I think South Africa is one of the few trainers of occupational medicine uh, practice uh, occupational medicine specialists. So this would be specialists who are similar to Uh, you know, if you were to think pediatrician, surgeon, dermatologist, mm-hmm. those are specialists, and we've got specialists in occupational medicine as well, and we've got very few. I think under fifty, if I'm not mistaken, in 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 our country, and uh, specialist programs in the continent, in the Af- in the African continent, for example, are very few as well. And I think um, I stand to be corrected, but South Africa might be one of the one of the few that has got a fully fledged occupational medicine training program. Mm-hmm. We are. as institutions also training doctors who are general practitioners to become occupational medicine practitioners so they are not specialists they do a two year program and that's the one that I'm and oh, even those yeah we're subscribed we've got over um, we always get over 80 um, or so applications for 20 spots and it's a two year program so that is uh, i think those are some of the issue those are some of the, the those are some of the challenges we're currently grappling with where there is very very limited occupational medicine or occupational health skills on the ground and this is just not in relation to doctors there is limited occupational health nursing um, yeah. expertise countries um and of course all the other related colleagues as well very limited numbers occupational hygienists um who do the the the, the measuring and um the measuring of various exposures quantifying them and um drawing conclusions from these and giving advice very few of them so it is a it, it is sadly a field which is which has got lots of work to be done but very few people within this uh, occupational health field as it were Oh, I really hope that maybe that you being on this podcast and us talking about it will kind of help a little bit. You said 15 or 50 and that's national. Yes, I think stand to be corrected, but I I, I 
So it's it's oh. very 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 considering that everyone works okay not everyone but like greater population right is employed or is doing some kind of work whether self-employed or employed somewhere right so way more people needing that kind of care but not necessarily matching the providers that are available um, that's important they are formal workers who need occupational health services as well they are formal services as well and within even formal employment you've got very 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 limited services so it would generally be the very well of companies and um, organizations that are able to afford employing occupational health experts to come and work within them within their companies or to outsource and get a contractor to come on the premises um, so typically you would have your mining industries large manufacturers and others vehicle manufacturers and others or large chemical plants having occupational in-house occupational health services or outsource services but your small and medium enterprises really do struggle and and that's part of you know where my passion is and where my my hope is for being on the show and trying to influence those who are within our field and those who might be interested in joining to actually come and hold hands with us to ensure that there is some level of occupational health service delivery at all levels of the informal and formal economy but also mm-hmm. all levels of businesses or, or, or entities um, just to give an example within the department of health for example there are also very few occupational health providers and it becomes even fewer when you consider other government departments so you can you can already have a sense that the, it, it's a field that is that is important but unfortunately still fairly unknown though covid i must say has had highlighted the need for occupational health services to be available for formal and informal workers and yeah so i think and i hope that the gains that have been made during this pandemic where we had to focus on the individual worker and how to protect them that those gains will actually be continued throughout the pandemic oh yeah absolutely and with this postgraduate diploma that you mentioned the two year is it open to doctors only or what like what's the equivalent or would it also be open to nurses i'm just curious so there are different uh, diplomas so the nurse uh, so the diplomas in occupational health nursing and that um, are, are, and those are provided by specific universities so the current diploma that we have is diploma in occupational health so that's only open to medical doctors and that's to help get them to become or train them to become occupational medicine practitioners so they move from being uh, or general practitioners to OMPs however there are equivalent or similar courses in other universities which are open to non medical practitioners if i could use the term so this would be anybody okay. who is a health who has a four year degree um, a four year undergraduate degree and and or an honors level degree would be able to join that so the university of for example the university of pretoria in south africa would offer those and your occupational medicine uh, training would be another kind of 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 diploma as well okay so yeah sounds like south africa has way more options than um at least i've come across in other countries as well uh, not that i was particularly focusing on occupational health but yeah in terms of specialization in general or at least like you positioned it as like a skills builder to become um, an OMP. Not, I don't know if Zimbabwe, for example, like offers it. Um, definitely not Zambia or Malawi. So no, it's really, um, it's really good to hear that this is an option and a career path that people can look into. Maybe um, I was just curious when you were talking about like uh, how there's not as many people and then just generally from what you described, it sounds like this is a very important field. Like when you mentioned skin, there's just so many examples that you listed. I'm just like, I never thought about this. Like the inhaling flour for people work in bakeries, the skin conditions. And it's so, yeah, it's very interesting. Again, like when you threw in the piece around formal versus informal economies, right? It's, it's easy for me when I'm, you know, employed by a registered entity to then say, you know, I need an ergonomic chair, Right. And then maybe there's a budget line for that somewhere and I can request it might take a while, but it's there. But then what happens when you are the employee, when you are self-employed and the work that you're doing, you know, puts you at risk for a certain disease or makes it hard to maintain your your like your health because you have a chronic condition like diabetes, like you mentioned earlier. So very, very important stuff that 
I personally never come across in my day-to-day work these days. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, what are we doing about this? Let's do more. (laughs) But so is funding an issue? Like what's the reason? Well, what do you think is the reason there are not as many people? What it sounds like at least South Africa already has a lot of like structure around it. At least that the universities at least have these departments or these programs that are already being offered. But why do you think like there isn't as much supply of health workers or maybe as enough conversation or interest for the field given the like necessary like demand mm-hmm. well um Fiona, i think there are there, there are a number of of reasons and one of the reason of course is 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 the lack of capacity right so you you rightly mentioned the universities within south africa uh, which are doing training but not all universities are doing training so i could think of our own um Stellenbosch, uh, um, one in Durban and two in in, in Gauteng, uh, and those are not um, the only major universities. So you can already imagine within our own country there is limited, uh, there is there are opportunities for training, but there could be more. And when we step outside of the country and we step into the region and the rest of Africa, for example, we you have even more diminished resources or training capacity, as, as, as it were. And many, um, you've mentioned Zambia, many Zambian colleagues and others would either train in South Africa or they would train abroad in, 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 in Australia or New Zealand or um, in the UK, etc. Et right. So I think that's the element of it. The other, of course, is that there is an element of of poor in in legislation, so occupational health, um, or underdeveloped rather, occupational health legislation within different countries. But there's also poor, they do exist, there's also poor enforcement as well. So so if I would use an example of the, the United Kingdom, where they've got the HSE or uh, the health safety executive, and they would be um, the equivalent of, of of Department of Labor inspectors, for example, where mm-hmm. they would actually go into different uh, workplaces, formal or informal, and you know do inspections, check and make sure that uh, occupational health legislation, rules, etc., is are being followed. And you know those are areas where we really do lack within um, within our within the different countries and so because of that one does not really unless you've got a passion for it or you know about the area you might find that people then do not generally go into those areas they go into what is more common and what is um, what is visible and, and and what is known right so so there's that element and of course then lastly I, I, and, and and you know of course it's just my own experience or my own view, lastly, because I I do think that because the field is relatively unknown, individuals or people do become skeptical in in, in joining. Um, They do become in forming part of the um, part of the occupational health movement, if I could call it that. And and, and I think that is, you know, shows like these come in, you know, come into play because they are able to demystify what the, you know, what the discipline is about uh, or what this branch in occupational health is about and also begins to, you know, it begins to speak to what others are doing in, in occupational health. And I think that's another element where we do need to have those who are involved in uh, workforce management like yourself, for example, being hold hands with those in occupational health and begin asking and being advocates for um, for occupational health services being available for you know whichever workers that you will be you will be dealing with yeah so so it is a, a number of problems and uh, I, I hope that those just gives you a sense of some of the concerns and some of the issues that are there um, currently ongoing yeah no absolutely that that's very insightful and you're right that it, it sometimes it starts from the top, right? So you do need kind of like legislation that's known that it's there if it's present or that's updated to match, right? Because industries are also constantly changing. And how do we think about um, occupational um, safety in different like emerging work environments, right? So I think raising awareness would be key. And you're right that sometimes people don't know what they don't know, right? So it's kind of like opening that dark, the fourth corner right of like how do you raise awareness of something that people would have otherwise not even known it exists mm-hmm. yeah now I'm just like my brain is going so many so many ways but I think we can always brainstorm that <laughs> what we can do with this I'd love to continue this conversation of like how do we raise awareness of not just public health but different different subfields within public health so that people know the these as like 
potential career paths and options that they have. And I think this conversation is definitely a good start. I think transitioning a little bit. Oh, actually, the other comment I was going to make was that you, you're right that maybe other countries also might offer as like not templates, but at least sources of like motivation. I think in, when I learned about occupational health, we learned about OSHA in the U.S., right? And for OSHA, it was political. Like people had to strike for workers' rights to say we need, you know, an in, in eight-hour day, workings to start and end, you know, we need to be provided gloves, things like that didn't just come. Mm. They came at people speaking up and voicing out about it. So that's always, for me, that's always an interesting when, like, people's health, we, it kind of, like, I guess, activism and needing to, like, really show that, you know, this area or this particular thing is important and it's important for these populations and, you know, we need to do, you know, our leaders and, and, and ask the people in the field need to do something about it and we need the guidance and the support, um, financial and otherwise, for it. Yeah, so much. But maybe speaking more generally, I'd love to hear you. You kind of talked about this a little bit earlier when you talked about when you defined occupational health within the definition, kind of like the larger definition of like physical, mental um, emotional well-being, right? And that's how you define occupational health. But generally speaking, as someone who is in occupational health, who's also a clinician, and when you think of your work within the field of public health, I guess, how would you define public health for you? Or what does public health mean to you personally? Hmm. So for me, public health is, you know, concerned with protecting the health of entire populations. So that's that's like thing that comes to my mind that I am I am protecting I am improving the healthcare of groups of people or populations of people and of course these populations could be you know a specific province county or region you know the SADC region for example it could also just you know it could also be populations of workers right because as I said occupational health falls in 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 public health and. What one thing that for me also drew me to, to, to public health is that one cannot achieve this by themselves. So, you, you know, there is a need for various stakeholders within society to collaborate in order for us to achieve health for populations or health for all. So, you know, be it those who are um, in, in, in policy development, and those who are in research, in health systems management, in education or health promotion, those who are in health service delivery or, you know, who are clinicians and rehabilitation science professionals, etc. Right. So, yeah. So, so for me, that is how I view, you know, public health as it uh, as a science that's really concerned with protecting the health of entire populations. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the health of a population, I've heard that version as well. I'm just collecting all these different definitions. And I think at the end of the season, I will compile these. But um, it's been amazing to hear, based on the different fields that people work in, how then at an individual level, like how people will then, you know, define public health for themselves. But um, thank you for that. As we wind down, I think we've, you've, we've covered the challenges. We, we talked about your favorite, like, favorite aspects of your work let's talk to let's talk to younger versions of yourself or of ourselves let's talk to you know the people we want to come into work in in public health and occupational health specifically I guess what what would you say to a younger version of yourself or like to people from your high school or the medical school you went to like what advice would you give a younger version of yourself thinking about which career path to take, maybe they have no idea, or who maybe are listening to this episode and thinking, I might want to explore this occupational health thing. Uh, What would you say to either encourage or motivate or like your absolute do's and don'ts? (laughs) Yeah, I think for me, the one element that I would, if, if I was to talk to a younger version of myself, is really to say to all the listeners, your dreams are valid, right? They are valid. And, and, I say that because at the time, whether you're 16, 17, you know, you see, you feel that there's something wrong and you know there's more you can do. And sometimes you become afraid, you become worried, you, 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 you begin to doubt yourself. But if you believe that what you are hoping, the world that you are hoping to see, the world that you're hoping to create is valid, then that pushes you, that, continue, that, you know, that helps you to keep going in that direction. I would have never thought 
talking you know to my 17 year old self that one day i would have finished a medical degree i would have then gone uh, and and traveled about the world and i would then have come back and you know landed in occupational medicine but what i did know i did want to influence you know the healthcare of people around me the healthcare of people in my community and the healthcare of people within my country right so that was my very underdeveloped passion and desire at the time and i used that to lead me to the various stages mm. of so that's that's the one thing that i would want to encourage anybody who is um you know who is who's young who's passionate and regardless of your circumstances you know or where you find yourself believe in that dream and chase that mm. dream the other element of course is that it is not enough to just dream and hope mm-hmm. one has to also put in the work and we are not all gifted the same some are you know gifted intellectually and they study and they get top of the class whereas uh, you know some of us might not get top of the class you might be yes some of the top but you might um, not uh, and and while others are not however we all given and we all have gifts in one form or another mm-hmm. and i think it is important for one to be intentional in finding out where your gifts are and also being intentional in working towards developing those um, those gifts or those talents that, uh, that that one has yes do others have better opportunities better schools etc than uh, than yourself yes you will find those but even in your own circumstances wherever they are you can do well they are very uh, uh, well performing students who studied under trees who studied under lights uh, and the candle etc um, while they are similar students within a very suburban area who don't do as well right so one shouldn't lose the you, you know one's background or rather dwell on it yes it does provide some Uh, disadvantage at in some ways but it also can create advantage in other ways and i think always look towards that positive always look towards you know, the opportunities that are around you and not opportunities that are not there okay so that's just in general just getting you know get getting one's uh, mind right and getting one's um, efforts right but if i was to move into just focusing only on occupational health if one is interested in occupational health uh part of the first thing that one i would advise you to do is to read up, up about it right there is a lot you mentioned OSHA, i mentioned hse in the uk in south africa as well there is a lot that's written out there about what occupational health is and what are the different opportunities within the occupational health space as i said and once you have then found out what your niche area is then it is important for you particularly if you're school leaving to then look towards courses or degrees that can help you get there if for example you'd like to end up in occupational medicine like myself you would need to firstly follow the medicine route and then yeah. study if you need to be a come in nursing occupational health nurse practitioner you would need to be a nurse first and then you become occupational health if you'd want to become a health and safety officer those are the careers that are directly linked to health and safety that you might need to go to if you are a clinical associate or clinical technician who would like to do some aspects of occupational health such as pyrometry or lung function testing testing of hearing of workers etc there are short courses in to to become a technician or audiometrist just doing that specifically within occupational health right so there are a number of opportunities in the field as i said it is it is open for everyone and it is just important for one to find your passion and then align it to occupational health you might be a social worker who is passionate about workers and therefore you then move into the mental uh, you know occupational mental health space where you deal with workers and uh, and workers problems as well right so you know so so in saying that i'm i think the key thing for me is to know yourself to work hard towards your goal but also to then have a very good idea of what the field offers and then see where do you, where are you leaning towards and how do you then get there and you know contact myself contact people in your field contact in your own in your in your own locality and ask them you know how do i get to be involved in this field no oh, you're absolutely right you really do need to kind of like find that initial spark of like where what are you what do you care about and then like kind of like go with it even you know go go with it with whatever is available to you right at that moment and like what will find you will find you is kind of like what i'm hearing in your in your words of wisdom you're absolutely right i guess yeah sometimes it can get overwhelming but you're right that just one step at a time right you work with within what you have and you kind of like focus on that get that done 
move forward. And, and as long as you're following that, like, place of passion, place of purpose, you know, you're moving towards it, even if you're not clear yet, what that um, specifically looks like. So yeah, I wish I'd heard this. So glad that other people can hear it as well. Last two questions before I ask you to like, maybe plug where people can follow you or anything else you might want to share in terms of resources and where people can um, see online. I guess the last two things, if you want to answer, one I definitely want to hear from you is like, what skills have you found to be the most useful in your work? Or what top, you know, one, two, three things outside of like words of wisdom that you shared? People always ask, what can I like learn how to do? Like, I really like your example of like, you can take a course in how to test lung function. And that's something you could do. So maybe generally in your career, in your field, you know, what skills have been the most valuable for you that you would recommend people to kind of like work on improving or work on acquiring if they're like more specifically technical skills? Mm, okay. <clears throat> Thanks, Fiona. Um, so it would definitely be d- depend on, you know, which career path you are thinking of, of going to. However, I, I would say overall, If one is looking at short courses, there are specific elements that are quite important within occupational health. So one is occupational health legislation. So in your own, you can attend courses or read up on occupational health legislation and empower yourself to become an an occupational health and safety officer, for example, within a workplace, right? And those in um, countries like South Africa, they are legislated. You attend a one or two day course and you are then able to assist in advocating for health and safety within a workplace, right? So those are skills that um, many people within a workplace can actually actively go out for. And those skills also give you basic principles of being able to identify or um, hazards within your workplace. So what could potentially make people unwell, cause injuries, etc. to be able to do a risk assessment, to be able to implement risk management plan and to help within your own lo- locality or within your own organization, be it five workers or 100 workers, to be able to do a difference in, in, in that sense. So those are some of the very basic and, uh, and, and key skills that one would need. Of course, in as healthcare professionals, the other element that in is attending short courses or programs that would then improve your clinical acumen. Like you've just indicated now, being able to not just see illness as an illness, but being able to tease out what is likely to be occupational or what is likely to be work-related. So that is one big element of it. And one can do it, again, short courses or even larger diplomas um, as, as they are. Then overall, I could also say that for those who are not within the healthcare space, it would be important that you look at areas that connect to occupational health. And again, I will use the example psychologists or social workers, if you feel that you are uh, interested in occupational mental health, they would be, that would be the direction that you go to. If you are somebody who is in, you know, in, in, in physiotherapy, for example, yeah. or biokineticist, um, you might be interested in going into ergonomics and helping workers deal with any ergonomic issues that they might be experiencing in the workplace. And if you're somebody in health policy and planning, you might then want to learn more about occupational health policy and how one influences at that scale. And and this would be people who you find at the International Labor Organization, so the ILO. Uh, The ILO does not just have clinicians. It has got economists and finance and other people who are within the space and who are ensuring that the workers, employers, and um, you know, and, and 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 general and society and general society speak towards improvement of of occupational health in its true sense. So yeah, so those are I would say are some of the, the the key skills and some of the key ways in which you can acquire those skills, and then from then on you you build on uh, from what you have. No, absolutely. Yeah, there's so many. The last episode we're talking about like public health being that elephant in the room, and that depending on which elephant you which part of the elephant you touch, right? You're still touching the elephant, but there's so many aspects of it. And it sounds like similar to this, there's so many ways of skinning a cat, like of killing a cat, right? You can skin it. You can, And I think it's the same way you're you're highlighting the different ways in which you can engage and, and, and work towards the, the goal of occupational health, depending on the skill set you either have or are interested in acquiring. So all very practical and helpful steps. For the sake of time, I think we'll end here. I've been having so much fun with this conversation. And I think 
this will be such a useful and very different angle uh, we're coming into the show with. And thank you so much for dedicating this time with us. Do you have any anything you'd like to like uh, share or plug? Maybe a resource, maybe a program that people you want people to check out. You mentioned reading as a form of like things that people can do to know more about the field um do you have like recommend resources where people can do that if alternatively you could share me the links and then when we air out the episode I could also attach those to the bio and the different promo places but yeah any other last minute things you'd like to promo and share um so from you know from my side I think the best thing to do is to, so the, the main occupational health link would be the International Labour Organization, ILO, your own country, wherever you are, and say occupational health and safety, something will come up and that will then begin to inform you as to what is happening in your own country and what legislation is there, what policies are there or not there, right? So that's just as a starting point. Um, and of course, there are then large organizations that are involved in occupational health and safety internationally. I've mentioned the health and safety executive. So if you got problems in your own country in your own company it is a beautiful source of information of occupational health information and um the NIOSH um in in Canada you've got uh, the, the, their own occupational health and safety um executive um or, or a version of it as well and in South Africa you've got the National Institute of Occupational Health the NIOH right so you might find that each country has got some version of these I'm mentioning the the, the UK the US and Canada uh, simply because they have synthesized the information. It is uh, uh, generally very credible information, which can be used with confidence and which which is you know written in a form that is accessible to a specialist in occupational medicine and somebody who's just entering into into the field. And just in terms of anybody who'd like to get in contact with me, so I, I am on, on 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 LinkedIn. So it's my name and surname Itumeleng Katanala, and uh, on Facebook as well. And um, of course, my email is my name. Um, so itumeling.datamala at uct.ac.za. So that's the, the university email. So I'm very happy to, to be contacted to give you further insights and further links, etc. should you have any questions. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Uh, and we'll definitely put links or at least highlight this in the podcast notes and episode notes so that people can follow the links to hear more about, to read more about this. This has been amazing. I've just been listening and learning and just like absorbing all this amazing information and can't wait to have other people listen to this as well. This has been Utano Public Health Chats with your host Fiona and today we're hosting Dr. Intumaleng in Tatamala. Mm-hmm.